shoot your TV, turn off your cell phone, and go out there and have real conversations with people. People can have whatever beliefs they want to, but in the end, we're all wonderful people, and this country's full of them, and the world is full of them. But if you just sit down and have a conversation with them, you'll learn that they're just like you. Episode 1, Peter Schuster. This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. Our guest today is Peter Schuster. In 1979, Peter immigrated to the United States from Czechoslovakia and settled in Lincoln, Nebraska. At age 7, he went on his first camping trip to the Colorado Rockies. Peter has been hooked on the outdoors ever since. In 2013, he spent more than five months hiking the 3,000-mile Continental Divide Trail and is here to talk about that today. Peter, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So, Peter, I've given the listeners a little bit of background on you, but I'd like you to go into a little bit more detail about yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like you mentioned, I hiked the Continental Divide Trail in 2013, but I've always kind of been a avid backpacker. I do a lot of um, things in the wintertime. I teach a winter camping class with the Colorado Mountain Club. I spend a lot of time outdoors and things like that, so I just... Uh, I consider myself an outdoorsman. Love doing things outdoors, things you know, creative and and fun, and um, you know, that's things that I I like doing. So it kind of was a natural move for me to uh, eventually get on a trail and doing something like this, just because my my dad was a big outdoorsman, and he uh, actually grew up in the Czech Republic, and my family actually immigrated here from the Czech Republic when I was about a year old. Um, and my dad had been a big outdoorsman and, you know, American fan and American Western fan. And so as soon as he could, he took us to the woods out here. And my passion for the outdoors just kind of started from that point on. Right on. You say you moved from the Czech Republic straight to Colorado? Um, actually, we moved to Lincoln, Nebraska initially. And the funny story behind that is that uh, we had a friend because the uh, Czech Republic was under communist rule at that time. And so people couldn't really leave. And so you had to escape somehow. And a friend of ours or a friend of my dad's, he escaped a couple years before and he went to Nebraska. And while he was in Nebraska, he decided to go on a little vacation to Estes Park, Rocky Mountain National Park. And so he bought a bunch of postcards, went back to Nebraska and mailed it to my dad and said, hey, when if you guys ever are able to leave, you guys should come to Nebraska. It's really nice here. And my dad, being the outdoorsman, saw, you know, Rocky Mountains and snow-capped peaks. And he's like, wow, Nebraska looks really nice. (laughs) So we, uh, you know, my parents escaped with about five other families. We bribed the Minister of Defense of Austria to get us papers to cross. Because you, back in those days, you weren't allowed to leave. It was either the parents left and the kids stayed behind or the kids went and the parents stayed behind. But through my dad's bribery and everything, we uh, crossed the border. I was born officially in Austria. And then when we could... Due to the postcard, we uh, moved to Lincoln, Nebraska. And uh, needless to say, my dad was very surprised when he got off the plane and, and uh, didn't see any mountains. So it's quite a shock. That's, 
that's great. That reminds me of the the movie Dumb and Dumber when they they come across the the plains of Colorado and they say that John Denver he's full of crap. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That had to be his reaction. And, and the humidity hit him, and he was like, "What was that?" So. Yeah, no doubt. It must have been a bit of a culture shock. Yeah. You know? So as a kid, I mean, did you do a lot of uh, a lot of uh, hiking, backpacking back in the Czech in the Republic? No, we came here when I was like a year old. So I didn't. Um, my my dad was huge into it. He had like a camping club and everything. But no, I never really. Honestly, I actually never really spent time in the mountains until we came out here for vacation. Because usually we came in the winter time. My dad was a very big skier, so we always came to Colorado and Denver visiting friends to go skiing. But it wasn't until we used to drive in the truck with my dad every summer. And I think the first time I actually saw the, the woods was in Montana when my dad was, you know, had a load and my, me and my mom, my sister ran into the woods real quick. And I know, I just remember the smells and the aromas and, and just being in there. It wasn't very deep or anything, you know, I was like maybe six or something, but um, I really loved it. And then we finally came out to um, check people have what they call like a butluck, And that is kind of a gathering. And so they started having a lot of gatherings out here in Colorado that my dad got invited to. So actually, my first experience was probably when I was, God, maybe six, six, seven years old out here in Colorado. So, no, oh, very cool. Yeah, the uh, you get into the woods and those smells really stick with you. It's uh, it's something that's ingrained in you as in a child as a child, and it stays with you. It makes you want to get back out there and and take part. Yeah, I really th- I think this. I think that's one thing that people. Um, fail to kind of appreciate and pay attention to the smells, the different trees and the funguses and the the breeze and and how things pick up. It's really a an opportunity to really experience it, other than just kind of making your way through it, but to actually just take a deep breath and really really take it in is a a big part of it. At least for me, it is. Yeah, absolutely. I can't agree more. I you know spend a lot of time on motorcycles, and you know, there's such a difference there when you're traveling on a motorcycle. You get all those smells as you pass pass through the forests, and you know, and by you know by certain areas, and you get to take that all that in where you don't normally get that in a car. It's just a, a fantastic way to do it and to be out there in nature. Yeah, okay. so I think it's kind of like what Edward Abbey says is that you can experience more on on foot, a bike, or by horse in one mile than anybody can in a car in hundreds of miles, you know, so. Yeah, that's a great saying. So you're here to talk about the Continental Divide Trail. Now, it's not something I know a lot about, so I'm interested to hear your stories. Um, If one of our listeners were uh, not educated on the Continental Divide, Divide Trail, what advice would you give them if they were looking to set out and do the same trek that you did? Um, uh, well, I mean, the Continental Divide Trail is part of the three major trails in America, like the Appalachian Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail. Um, and then there's the Continental Divide Trail. Um, you know, I, I picked the Continental Divide Trail as my first trail, um, cause it was just kind of one of my first kind of hikes as a teenager, you know, young adult was on the Continental Divide Trail. And I thought it was amazing. And so I kind of, started building up my skill level for almost seven, eight years so I could go out and do something like the CDT. Um, and I, I, you know, if people want to go do it, I think it's a fantastic, fantastic trail, but it is I'm not trying to brag or anything, but anybody will tell you that the kind of trail is a much more rural trail than the AT or the PCT. It's much more harder. There's much more, you know, five to seven day carries of food and things like that in between 
either towns or highways that you can hitch into town to do. So there's a lot more logistics. There's a lot more you're on your own. If something goes bad, you know, your chances of somebody walking by is pretty slim um, because there are so many rural sections out there. But I mean, I wouldn't discourage anybody, but I would definitely make sure that you know what you're doing. You, you have your gear locked down. You understand the psychology of being alone a lot and having to depend on yourself 100% that you, there can't be any doubts in your mind about what you, know, what you should be doing. You, sh- you, know, you should know how to treat water before you get there. You should know how to deal with adverse conditions. You should learn how, how to manage the psychological effects of you know, walking 20, 25 miles a day. So, I mean, there's, you can definitely do it. If somebody was going to do their first trail, I would recommend to them the Appalachian Trail just because there's, you know, you can go two days and you can be in another town. It's a very social trail. You can get a lot of help. There's a lot of resources there. Same thing with the Pacific Crest Trail. Uh, there's a lot of resources out there. So if you want to do the CDT first, that's fantastic. I did it as my first trail and have nothing against it. Um, but if your skills aren't exactly there, I would try one of the other two trails, to be honest with you, to, go, to start out first. Right. Yeah, it sounds to me like a good idea might be to do just a section of it. Choose a, a section in in one of the states and and do that. Just see how it goes goes. And I think a lot of research going into it probably uh, pays dividends once you're out there in desolation and can uh, be used to being self self sustainable. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So, so did you hike the trail uh, going north or going south? Um, I went northbound. Um, Northbound, the reason I went northbound is because you can start a little bit earlier. People can start about April 1st is typically the earliest that you want to start because you start hitting the snow and the San Juans in southern Colorado. So if you start really soon, you're going to get stopped there anyways. Um, if you go southbound, you have to wait till the snow to start kind of melting in Glacier National Park up in Montana. And plus, I was, you know, I wasn't in the best of shape. I mean, I'll, I'll admit it. I would. You know, a lot of people say it takes New Mexico to kind of get your, you know, your legs underneath you. You kind of get in hiking shape and and things like that. So that's why I started uh, going on northbound. Yeah, that makes sense. So you're you're probably having uh, having to deal with less ascent, less vertical ascent right off the bat from going that that direction instead of starting in the thick of it. Yeah, for sure. You know, you're starting in the desert. It's pretty flat. I mean, there is some elevation. People don't realize, but the the New Mexico. Uh, the border down there is about like three, 4,000 feet. So it's not like you're at sea level or something. So you're already kind of starting at a little bit of a elevation already. Yeah, but it is flat. But I mean, for a lot of people, it's a shock because you are literally in the middle of nowhere, you know, <laughs> in the middle of nowhere. The only people there are, you know, illegals crossing the border and drug runners and border patrol and then through hikers. That's, yeah. <laughs> you know, and so that's all you got, you know, so. It's a shock to the system right from the get-go. Yeah, I bet that heightens your awareness down in that situation too. Oh, definitely. I mean, it's it's actually pretty – the border is a pretty crazy area because, I mean, there's a lot of border patrol. They have these little sensors everywhere hidden in the desert. So you can like trip them, not like physically trip over them, but you can like – you know they'll know that you're there. And they actually have these little blimps that fly around and they coast around the border and they have these infrared cameras and they'll actually like kind of follow you and stuff like that. And you'll have border patrol that'll come up on you and be like, what are you doing out here? And, you know, you, you tell them, you know, what you're doing. And most of the time they'll leave you alone and they'll just be like, oh, you have water. You know, we know you guys are out here. And they'll mostly leave you alone unless you get like a real jerk who, you know, like into your backpack and, you know, show me some ID kind of thing. But 
most of them are really cool to me. Somebody that wants to flex their muscle a little bit. That's funny. I had, I had been down there years back with a with a job and uh, working down down and around that area. And every once in a while, I'd come around a corner and there's border patrol up on a on a hill in an SUV, just keeping an eye on me. But sounds like they've gotten a little bit more technologically advanced with the blimps, keeping an eye on you. That's that's interesting. Yeah, they're definitely technically. They like I said, they got those sensors and the the blimps and everything and. Yeah, it's it's. I think everybody should go just take a look at it and just see how everybody talks about it on the news, but nobody actually goes there, and it's it's pretty interesting. I thought. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, pretty. So you say you started out in early April. How long was the? How long did the trek take you? Um, I officially started um, at ten thirty six a.m. on April twentieth, um, and then I finished at twelve twenty two on September twenty seventh. So it took me. Uh, five months and seven days. Wow, that's a long time out on your on a trail on your feet. That's, yeah, I actually got injured halfway through, um, and so I had to take some time off a little bit in the middle. But, um, okay. but yeah, no, I mean, typically it'll take people. I mean, if you're really fast, you can do it maybe three months. Um, if you, you know, average person will take about the same time that I did. Okay, all right. So that's a heck of a journey to set out on. What um, what was your ma- most amazing experience out there that uh, that you could tell our listeners? You know, something to kind of whet their appetite um, if they're thinking about something like this. Yeah, uh, I mean, most amazing thing. I mean, uh, I'll note a couple of things. Is one is that you know is. Everybody has a dream of doing something kind of big in their life. Everybody has to has a has a passion that you know, like God, I really wish I could do that. And so, it sounds crazy, but like that first mile, the first mile that I was out there on the trail, it was really you know emotional. It's just kind of like you know, you spend all this time thinking about it, you spend all this time planning about it. You really dig deep, and you're really actually disconnecting from your life. You're pretty much saying no to everything, and it's it was just such an amazing, emotional, beautiful, exhilarating moment was that first mile to say, you know what, I'm, I'm here. I, I, I didn't just talk about it. I actually did it. And so having that feeling and that emotion of all that preparation and mental preparation and the maps and the gear and saying goodbye to your family and, and hoping that you make it and all those things is just such a exhilarating moment that it was really just really, really powerful in that first mile. I mean, I was like, happy i cried i was excited i was elated i was freaking out you know it was it it was wonderful so i mean that was that was definitely at least an emotional experience for me the other one you know was the people that i met i mean this country is full of wonderfully amazing people and you meet characters from you know a beautiful old couple that lives in the middle of nowhere new mexico because they wanted to get off the grid to you know, doctors and, you know, hunters who would invite you in Montana to come into their cabin and, you know, they make a steak and potato and, and get you drunk on, you know, wild turkey, you know, and, you know, that was fun. And, you know, just being completely away from everything, from civilization that, you know, everything is on your back. Everything is there with you. You know, you encounter moose and bear and, and deer of tons of deer and like little birds that you never heard saying and little insects on the ground you've never even known about before and 
you know, you meet cool people and, you know, eventually you end up in a town, you go to a bar and everybody's so welcoming. They're like, oh, that's great. That's fantastic. Let me buy you a beer. And it's just like, you know, then the sun rises, the sun sets. I mean, it's just, it's, it's unbelievably how freeing you feel and, and how you can get away from those things. That is just, it's really overwhelming. And then there's the cool, you know, when you have a bear or grizzly encounter that, uh, you know, you got to check your pants after that once too. So those are, uh, you know, those animal encounters, they're fun, they're fun too. So, yeah, they're good memories, but, uh, in the moment, uh, <laughs> it can be a little nerve wracking, I'm sure. Yeah, exactly. When you bump into a grizzly bear in Glacier National Park on your second to last day and, uh, you know, you're worried it's going to charge you. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> it's not a good feeling. One, you're like, God, I'm almost done. I don't want to get mauled by a bear, you know, right before I'm finished. So that was, that was an interesting. And then when I was in Yellowstone, somebody actually, two people got mauled by a bear the day before we got there and on, on the same trail that we were hiking on. Oh, you're thinking, great. That's good timing. Yeah, it's like great time. Well, I, I was like, well, at least they're not hungry anymore, but you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they, got, they got their fill. Well, I'm glad you brought up the you know the part about you know meeting all sorts of good people out there when you're doing it. You know, I think it's unfortunate in society where you know our news reports and and uh, it, you know in the media portrays such an evil country. I mean, I should say each evil society. Sometimes you know we're just we should be afraid to go anywhere. We should be afraid to travel outside of our own country. And yet every time you hear uh, the words, the story out of the mouth of the people that have actually done it. There's a uh, certainly a common thread where those people are just saying, "I met the most wonderful, wonderful people on this trip, on this journey, whether it be inside this country or any other country for that matter." And uh, until you actually get out there and do it, I think you don't you don't realize that that truly is the you know, what's going on. That you you shouldn't listen to the media. You know, the, the news is just there to to scare you and and uh, hype it up. So I love that you bring it up um, and, yeah. uh, you know, point out that this truly is a good society. People are genuinely good. Yeah. I, I, I can tell you, I interacted with hundreds of people and I can't, I maybe had one guy was maybe a little bit of a jerk, but that was it. But I mean, I, I when I got off the trail, I told everybody, I said, shoot your TV. Cause that thing is just a, a box in the corner of your room that is just honestly not conspiracy theory or anything. It really is just feeding you lies and it feeds on people's fears. But I, I honestly believe that in the end, everybody is the same. Everybody just wants to be happy, take care of their families, have good times, have some fun, and everybody wants to experience things. And honestly, the people that have the least give the most. And I heard that saying before. And I believed it, but I didn't experience it. But after my trip, I experienced – I knew people that had nothing. And they were like, come on in, have some fun, have a beer, you know, or, you know, here, let me make you some food. And it's – yeah, the, shoot your TV, turn off your cell phone, and go out there and have real conversations with people. People can have whatever beliefs they want to, but in the end, we're all wonderful people, and this country's full of them, and the world is full of them. But if you just sit down and have a conversation with them, you'll learn that they're just like you. Yeah, I agree. I can't agree with you enough. You know, I know personally it's it's something I need to, to work on to be better about, you know, working on meeting people and getting to know them and not uh, not believing the hype, you know, because yeah. I all I ever hear, um, you know, if I'm not watching the, the news or the media, but I'm listening to real stories, all I ever hear is people reiterating the same thing that you're saying. 
um, that just people are genuinely good. And yeah, I mean, that whole thing about, you know, the people with the, the, the least give the most, uh, it definitely resonates you know, here time and time and time again. Yeah. It's, I mean, the funny thing was, is when you're out, you know, you get to town and you're kind of craving some information. So I'd turn them on my phone and look at, I don't know, Huffington Post or CNN. And then you read a story because the Syrian situation was really kind of big when I was out at the, on the trail. And it's funny how you would just hear like these spins, you know, you'd hear the, I'd read the story on it cause I'm a news buff. I, I do enjoy the news and, and being a part of the social, you know, world environment. But it's crazy how I learned when I was out there that, you know, you read a story and then seven days later, you hear just a different spin on the same story. They were just re, just regurgitating the same thing, but th- their own like fear mongering was included in there. So it was a great social experiment of how you separate yourself for a little while and come back to it, and it's same thing, different spin. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's not a bad thing to uh, to watch or listen to, but take it with a grain of salt. Don't uh, don't buy into it. They're just looking to uh, to make headlines. That's all. Yeah, and use your own opinion. Use your own brain. Be like, this doesn't make sense. What are you talking about? So, <laughs> right. Uh, Friends, don't miss out on the family fun that is the Boundary Waters Canoe Area Wilderness this summer. Paragus Northwoods Company, located at the edge of the wilderness in Ellie, Minnesota, is a leading supplier of fun for families and friends in the Boundary Waters Wilderness. Paragus supplies the canoes and the camping gear that makes a wilderness adventure so easy and so enjoyable. Find them online at paragus.com. That's P-I-R-A-G-I-S.com or pick up the phone and talk to their outfitting department at 1-800-223-6565. 1-800-223-6565. Geargasm.net is the number one place to buy outdoor gear made by startups, independent, and innovative outdoor brands. They sell everything from backpacks, stoves, tents, solar power technology, trekking poles, and everything else you need when you go outdoors. Check out their full line of products for all of your day hiking, backpacking, and car camping needs at Geargasm.net. That's G-E-A-R-G-A-Z-M dot net. Be sure to use the coupon code PODCAST to save 10% on your next order. Hey guys, will you help us make the Adventure Sports Podcast successful? Take a few minutes to rank us on iTunes and leave a review. Subscribe, rank, review. Thanks! So I'm assuming, I mean, you're, you're very, uh, um, you know, excited about the trip that you took. I'm assuming generally things went well for you. It was a, a fantastic experience from the sounds of it. Was there anything that kind of didn't go so well? Um, something that, that spooked you or, or made you a little nervous for, for a moment in that journey that, that you'd like to share? Yeah, of course. Um, Actually, it was a day before I got to the Colorado border. I just, I was about 25 miles from making it to Colorado, you know, you know, walking across New Mexico, all that stuff. And I actually, uh, the night before I had a big blister on the bottom of my, of my foot and I woke up in the middle of the night, as you do, and I stepped in something, I won't describe it, but I stepped in something I probably, you know, shouldn't have. And that created a big infection in my foot. 
Um, and so I had to actually, I woke up the next day and my foot was about twice the size it was. And so I had to quickly, I put my shoe on cause I knew it wasn't going to get any worse. Long story short, two Vicodins later, I hiked out the 25 miles to, uh, Coombers pass in, in Colorado, went down and I'm going to the hospital again. Long story short, I, they diagnosed me with like an infection and gout and all these things. And so I had to take three weeks off from my trip. And so my sister came down, she picked me up, she brought me back here to Denver and I took three weeks off and it was, you know, not cause I had to the, you know, it was the doctor told me to take three months off. I said, I'm sorry, I, I can give you three weeks, you know, cause I, you just had to be tunnel vision focused that you're going to finish this. There's yeah, you got hurt. Yeah. You got injured, but you got to keep going. And so that was probably my biggest obstacle was that. And then I hurt the same foot again in the wind rivers up by on um, like Jackson hole. Um, and so I had to take four days off there and it's all my left foot. And so, yeah, injuries there, they can cripple you. Some, some people left the trail because they got injured and they got down on themselves. And, oh, I, you know, I told my, you know, I had people told me I couldn't make it. And so it really is like the trail is, you know, 80% mental, 20% physical. And so, but that foot injury was definitely one of the bigger obstacles that I had. And then also, you know, the closer I got to the border, the more broke I got. So, money definitely became an issue so yeah i'm sure yeah that's what i wondered i was going to ask if you know i imagine an injury like that can be a a real downer on the morale you know it'd be it would be hard to stay focused and um you know because this is this is not an easy trek i'm sure it was very enjoyable at the same time it's a lot of work you know so something like that takes you out and i bet a lot of people do have uh have trouble getting back uh underway after something like that yeah, I, I always had the motto, I forget who told me, it was, um, don't believe everything you think, you know, <laughs> so it was like, it's like, you know, oh, you know, you can't make it, you know, you're not strong enough, you know, oh, you made it pretty good, you, you know, you did a pretty good job, you can go and, you know, hang your head high because you made it this far, and, you know, your mind can play total games on you, and, you know, you just have to brush it to the side and say, you know what, I'm not there yet. I'm not done. Yeah, my foot hurts, but, you know, whatever. I'll give it a couple of days rest. I'll enjoy where I am. I'll, you know, I spent a couple of days in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and never been there before, and it was a great town, and met some cool people, and I stayed at these people's house that I actually met in the, in the Wind Rivers. On the way out, she was like a nurse, and she's like, come on, you can stay in my condo, and we'll take care of you, and never met him in my life. Again, another great person I never met in my entire life, and they put me up in their condo with their daughter for four days. I never met me before. Fed me, took care of me, let me stay there. Everything was great. So yeah, that's fantastic. Not yeah. a bad place to lay over either. Yeah, Jackson Holes. You've never been there. It's it is gorgeous. I mean, once you yeah. get out kind of the touristy areas and stuff like that. But what do you want? You got like Yellowstone north of you. You got the Tetons, you know, to the west of you. You got the Wind Rivers to the east, and you know, everything else to the south. It's yeah, it's it's gorgeous there. Yeah, absolutely, it is. So you're, I mean, you obviously see a lot of desolation while you're out there. What would you say, I mean, do you spend full days on the CDT without seeing a single person? Or can you kind of expect to see, you know, at least somebody each day? Or is it just just really vary um, by location? Um, overall, you're not going to see really anybody. Um when you're out, especially like in New Mexico, no, I mean, I'm sorry if you're from New Mexico listening to this, but like 
I didn't meet one hiker, like through hiker, not even like a through hiker, but like a day hiker, a backpacker. Um, I didn't meet, I met nobody on the trail in New Mexico. I met like other through hikers because we kind of, you know, you get bunched up there in the beginning and then it spreads out more. But um, New Mexico was really desolate. Like I didn't meet anybody on the trail. I mean, like, you know, car campers, yes, those, but not anybody with like a pack on. Um, Colorado was different. Definitely met more people in Colorado just cause you know, Colorado, more people are out there, but you're more rural. So you don't meet that many people. Um, Wyoming, um, the great divide basin. I mean, I think my longest stretch without seeing someone was five days. So yeah, that's a good stretch. Nothing yeah. I mean, it was stuff. great. It was, yeah. I mean, I didn't talk. I, I kind of did that thing. Like I didn't talk. I didn't want to like make any sounds. I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't talk to myself. I didn't do anything. I was just like silent for five days and it was very meditative in a way. Yeah, no, I can relate. So you head out, uh, you head out with, with provisions with you. How, how far can you get? I would say, you know, in the five and what, I guess not quite five and a half months, five, five months in a week. Um, how often do you have to go reprovision? I mean, obviously your your packing as light as possible, but you don't want to try to get into town every time you come in. So, so how do you go about that? Yeah, that's a good question. Is um, you know, you really got to dial in what kind of foods you like to eat and things like that before you leave. Um, but typically, a resupply would be, I don't know, about every. I'd say probably about every 150 miles, maybe 110 miles. It was about every five days or so. You would either walk into a town or walk near a town, or you'd walk you know, get to a highway where you could hitch to a town. Um, so you'd have to make your food last about five days on average was your um, resupply. Um, and the resupply goes is that there's a lot of places where you can – Sometimes you're resupplying out of a 7-Eleven. Sometimes you're resupplying out of like a, a Whole Foods if they have one, like, you know, really nice town. But most of the time it's like a sometimes a dollar store or whatever the local grocery store is. And you just have to resupply. You can also send yourself uh, supply boxes. You can get boxes. Some people do that. Um, they get sent a box to every single post office that they hit on along the trail because – Legally, every post office has to hold a package for you. If you say general delivery, every post office in America, no matter whether you're hiking or just going somewhere on vacation or whatever, has to legally hold a package for 30 days. You just say general delivery, Peter Schuster, and they put in a little side corner office. So a lot of people, if you have dietary restrictions um, or special needs or medications, a lot of people sent supply boxes. I kind of did hybrid. There's about four, four to I forget exactly, but maybe four to six spots along the trail where there's nothing. There's just a post office and a couple of houses. So you had to send a box there. Um, so that's kind of how I did it. But yeah, usually typically it was about five days. And that's why I said earlier, if you're not used to being outdoors a lot, that's why some of the other trails are more convenient. Cause I mean, you go to a, on the Appalachian trail, you can go to a subway every two days. Right. <laughs> you know, you, know, you could be having a, you know, having a pitcher of beer and a pizza every two days, pretty much on the AT and nothing against the AT. I, I hope to hike it one day, but yeah, it's definitely much more easier on the, the resupply. Oh yeah, sounds like like you said, make they make for good practice routes before you have to to get out there and do something a little bit more harsh and and fewer and further between uh, reprovisioning stops. 
Yeah, yeah. Especially, especially provision stops is much harder. It's the hardest on the CDT, but the AT is a hard trail too because it's very rocky, a lot of roots. It's very tough on the on your bottom of your feet. The AT is so. But yeah, the CDT was just you know long stretches of resupply, and but you know you made it last. You picked the foods that you like, and there were some foods you didn't like, but they were high calorie, and you made do. It was great. You can eat really well. Oh sure, yeah. Well, that's a great tip on the the post office. I didn't know. I've never heard about that, but uh, man, that's that's useful. Yeah, especially if you like situations, um, nothing around. Yeah, if you like mountain, you know, like you said, you like uh, motorcycles and things like that. If you're doing like a long trek and you don't want to carry food with you, or you, seriously, general delivery, any post office in America has to hold it for thirty days. Uh, that's exactly where my gears were turning when you were when you were talking about it. I thought, ooh, how could I use that? <laughs> my own <laughs> my own motorcycle adventures. That's fantastic. Yeah. Okay. So Peter, um, part of this podcast is to, to also to help out small businesses and nonprofits, uh, our authors and the like. Um, you yourself have a, a small business and I'd like you to give you a chance to tell our listeners about, about your business and what you provide and, uh, and take it, go from there. Yeah, absolutely. This actually was an idea that kind of grew out of my experience with the Outdoor Industry Association as I worked in the membership department. And so my company is Geargasm.net. Um, it's all about uh, bringing together startup, independent, and innovative outdoor gear. So a lot of it is, you know, guys with a dollar and a dream or they have uh, a product that they really enjoy using on their free time. So they decide to make it on their own. Um, and so I really specialize in those type of products. I don't have any big like Patagonias or North Face or anything like that. And so um, the idea kind of struck me, you know, working at the association, I talked to all of these small brands. And they're like, you know, how do I get it out there? How do I market this? And and I was always like, well, you know, you got to try and hopefully get picked up by, you know, Big Five Sports or REI or something. And those are such difficult things to do. And I was like, well, it seems like there's a, a niche there in the market. And so I kind of did some testing and um, seemed like people were interested in buying from, you know, local, small, independent manufacturers and, you know, people just like you guys. And so I was like, you know, let me try it. And it kind of grew out of the, you know, out of the trip because I wanted to do something that was my own and, you know, a business that could eventually make money and give back to the community and give back to the, you know, the Continental Divide Trail Coalition, which is the one that manages the trail. Because I had such a great experience on there. I really want other people to to get out there and appreciate it. And my uh, wife is a teacher, so I want to, you know, use this money that I make to to give back to kids who are, you know, have a nature deficiency disorder. I think that, that's what they're calling it, and get them back into the woods and get, let them experience those things. And so that's kind of what I want to use the the money that I generate from the website, not just for my everyday living, but you know, to promote these small companies, promote these small brands, get them some exposure, get people interested in small independent companies because there's so many of them out there. There's much, much more things than just Columbia and North Face, you know, and things like that. And so if we can expose more people to it, small town, America, small businesses, real outdoor adventurers who are, you know, making these products. And so that's what Geargasm.net is all about is bringing them together and then using that, using the money that's generated from that for some good social change. Oh, that's fantastic. I, yeah, I didn't know that about, uh, about you and your business as far as, uh, also working to, to get kids out there. It's funny. You call the, call it the, the nature deficiency disorder. I'll have to, to use that one in the future. That's a, that's a great way to put it because there are a lot of kids uh, in our society that have never set foot into the woods. They're stuck in the cities and 
They just don't know what they're missing because they don't have the means to get out there. So good on you yeah. for uh, for doing that. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. I mean, there, yeah, it's the whole book called Nature Deficiency Disorder out there, actually. And it's um, there's some good organizations out there that are working to get people outdoors. And it's it's about educating the the parents on how to do things and where to go. And, you know, everybody's scared. They, I think a lot of it's fear-based. You know, people are scared of going out to nature because there's bears and there's snakes, you know, and, and those kind of things. And out of 3,000 miles, I only met three bears the whole time I was out there. So trust me, they're they're not everywhere. But, um, yeah, so that's I think it's just about getting them out there and leaning. Because if, if you don't expose it to them, they're and, you, and they become adults and they get a chance to vote. They don't. They're not going to know what they're voting for, and they're not going to know how to make social change and and you know how things are. We're all part of the same system, and if they you know if this goes away, then this goes away. And if you don't take them out there, they're not going to appreciate it. And if they don't appreciate it, they don't know what to do with it when it's their opportunity to voice their opinion on it. So. Yeah, and they won't know about taking a care of it and, and yeah. respecting it in that way. They're, why? Why would they? They don't. They haven't been taught that. That's great. Yeah. What can we expect from them if we don't show them? You know, you have to grab them by the hand and take them out there and show them. Then they at least have an understanding. If they don't like it, they don't like it. But at least they appreciate the beauty of it, and will use that voice in their in their pen to to make a difference. Hopefully, in the future. Yeah. Absolutely. Fantastic. Okay, do you want to share with our listeners uh, your web address, where they can reach you, a telephone number, email address, anything that uh, that you might need to share for them to get in touch with you? Yeah, of course. Um, the website is Geargasm, and G-E-A-R-G-A-Z-M dot net, Geargasm dot net. You can also find me at Facebook at Geargasm. Um, same thing on Twitter, I'm at Real Geargasm. Um, and if people go to my website um, and use the promo code PODCAST, um, they'll receive 10% off of their entire order. So a um, little incentive to go out there. And, you know, you can follow me on Facebook. I'm creating more and more blog posts and more ways of connecting. And I'm not always pushing product. I'm pushing, you know, um, great organizations, you know, fun tips and tricks and, you know, those kind of things like that. So definitely come and check us out at geargasm.net with a Z. Well, awesome. I appreciate that. I'm glad uh, glad you mentioned the, the discount. That's one thing we hope to provide our listeners is uh, a way to, to get a little bit of a bonus, but also draw them to to your store um, instead of walking into the, the big retailer, as we just discussed. Excellent. Okay. So the last question we like to ask is based on, this is more of a a societal thing. So you're talking about long distance backpacking on the continental divide trail specifically. Um, we like to have our, our guests kind of explain how this, this sport, this adventure sport benefits society. Um, this could be just an example would be like, you know, you're saying getting kids out there, um, you know, something to that extent. So how does long distance backpacking in your words benefit society? Oh man, um, I think that it, it gets people back into nature, um, definitely. And I think, I think mostly what it does for people, and a reason why I think they should, is that people are more capable than than they think they are. They can endure more. They can do more. They can experience more than they think they can. And I think long distance. You know, through hiking, backpacking is about self-reliance, about building self-confidence, about 
um, being out in nature, disconnecting, really connecting back with yourself than instead of being pulled out in all these different directions. So if you really want uh, an experience of a lifetime, if you really want to build up your self-confidence, build up your skills as an outdoorsman, person, woman, whatever it might be, there's very strong outdoor women through hikers. It's just a great way to build up your confidence, build up your energy, you know, lose some weight if you really want to lose some weight. Um, and just go out there and experience and disconnect and just, yeah, I, I, through hiking, no matter what you do in your life, you'll never forget your through hike and you'll always want to talk about it. And it's a total tribe of people. You can meet somebody. Oh, I hiked the CDT in 13. Oh my God, I did in 15. I did it in 09. You have an instant bond and, and camaraderie with them. So I encourage everybody to go out there. You don't have to do it for five months. If you can do it for a week, a month, three weeks, whatever it is, disconnect and go out there and have some fun. But be careful, you might get that bug. I can see that. Well, that's uh, that's well put. I think you, you brought up some really good points. Um, self-reliance is big. You know, we live in a world of electronic devices, and more and more our children are stuck behind those screens, and they don't really they don't really deal with uh, with society. You know, with their friends on a, a face-to-face level like we used to. Um, they talk to them digitally, and you know, I think that's a it's a bad trend. I think pushing pushing people to get out out into the environment or outside their comfort zone uh, really goes a long way. And to, to be able to get out there and connect with others, uh, it just creates these, these lifelong lasting memories, like you're saying. Yeah. So, and it gives you opportunity to that we're very comfortable where we are. And this allows you to be uncomfortable, to be even bored a little bit. You know, it's something that you, you, if you don't want to be bored in this world, you don't have to be. You always got your phone and something to play on. And so, you know, being a little uncomfortable, being a little bored, you know, being a little bit of pain. There's there's a emotional growth through physical pain, I believe. So go out there and have some. Oh, yeah. Being being bored and in silence is a wonderful thing when you finally uh, you, you get to know it. And uh, yeah. I mean, just just being able to be inside your head. And I think that was the most attractive thing, you know, thinking about as you're telling the story. The most uh, alluring thing to me about your trip was just, I just truly enjoy being out there by myself and in my own head. I mean, you can work a lot of things out. You can, it's so freeing, uh, for your mind to do that. And I, you know, I hope that we entice people to, to get out there and do it themselves if they're not already, uh, by bringing these stories to this podcast. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of great opportunities, a lot of great resources out there. You can, uh, ContinentalDivideTrail.org is the organization, the website for the CDT officially. Um, if you're in the Denver area, we have a lot of events that we have going on um, to support the trail. We do a lot of free giveaways. So uh, there's a lot of resources out there. Always make your own decisions and stuff. But, yeah, there's there's great resources out there to do whatever whatever your heart desires. Well, great. All right, Peter. Well, I appreciate your time that you spent on the podcast and telling us about your your journeys uh, on the Continental Divide Trail. Uh, is there anything else that you wanted to to bring up before we let you go? No, uh, I think that was it. Just um, thank you guys so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And um, just you know, just go out there and follow your passion and have some fun and you know, come back feeling great and fulfilled and and be sure to give back when you get back. Awesome. Well put. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. This 
visit JoeRust.com for world-class motorcycle training solutions. Joe Rust is a BMW accredited trainer and was the first woman to circumnavigate the African continent on a motorcycle. That's www.jorust.com. Would you like to be a guest on an upcoming show? Just go to AdventureSportsPodcast.com and click Contact Us. Thank you.